<laughs> Welcome to Cape Christian. I'm so happy that you're viewing us online uh, and here with us today. Uh, I am so excited to be able to talk, and I love the topic that we're talking about in humility. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm great at it, uh, but I'm excited to talk about it. Um, and actually, when I first found out we were talking about humility, I sent a text message out to about 10 people, and I asked them the three questions. I asked them, number one, define humility for me. Number two, in your definition, would you consider yourself humble? And number three, I asked them <laughs> the daunting question, would you consider me humble? Uh, in your definition. And so uh, I will not be sharing those results with you today. Uh, um, but I think it is interesting when we talk about results, many of us in life in general, we're asking for different results in our world, whether it's politically, whether it's socially, whether it's our work life, our home life, whatever it is, we so often want different. We go to our jobs and we complain about not being paid enough or our bosses don't care about us. And we we're hoping for change. We talk about different laws in place and say they're not fair at times and we hope for change. We go home to our spouses or our kids and even in those relationships, we sit there and we hope for change. And although we want it different and we hope for change, rarely do we ever actually change our approach. And that's what I wanna to talk to us today about is, is the changing of our approach that we, we can hope for change. We might want the outcome to be different, but we keep trying the same thing over and over again. Some of us have heard it said, Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And Jesus actually had the same thing going on around him in his culture. Romans had what is actually called an honor-shame uh, society. And whether you're here and you even uh, believe in God, through a strictly historical lens, Jesus showed up in the middle of a society that were all clamoring to get to the top, and he flipped the whole thing on its head. The upper class, the Romans and upper class Jews actually only knew and only tried for one way to get to the very top. And, and if we were to use an analogy today, maybe, I don't know, basketball, since there's a giant basketball on the stage, if we were to use an analogy to look at what, what does this look like in our, in our life, what we would talk about is, is that they knew of one way to get to the top. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring Xander up. Come on up here, dude. And we're gonna break this down for what this looks like. See, in basketball, it would be like getting to the top would be no matter who's in front of me, no matter what's in front of me, the only approach I know is to go through this person, to go around this person, to drive hard into the paint, to go right into them. And so I'm gonna show you what this looks like if Xander's kind to me on defense. And so I go, I go through him and I'm right. And that's the point. Thank you. Yes. And what happened? I got the results I wanted. I got the buckets. And that's what we know. We know, okay, in order to get my results, in order to get the points, I've got to go through this person. I've got to go into them. I've got to get into the paint and go through them. And so it worked once. So I'm going to go for one more time. <laughs> and it worked again. Yes. But as I continue to do this in life, we'll find that whatever obstacle it is, all of a sudden, and in basketball this works, the defense shifts. The obstacle changes. But our approach rarely changes. And this is what the insanity of doing it over and over again, expecting different results starts to look like, because now it's shifted and it's changed, but I'm gonna try the same approach and I'm gonna go right. But Xander, he's there. <laughs> what? Thank you. And that's what it looks like. Thank you. Come on, come on, come on, come on, hustle. 
What are you, AD coming back on defense? Come on. And so I'll try it one more time. I'm coming through. I'm coming through. I'm coming through, right? And it just looks like insanity. It starts to look like you can't make this happen. And, and this was what was happening with the Romans and the upper class Jews of Jesus' time. They just knew of one power move that I, if I just keep pushing, if I just keep pressing, if I just keep going, I'll eventually get my way through. And I had a result one time, so I should get it this time as well. But it's the obstacle shifts, our approach shift, but we don't make the shift. And most of us look so often, we look the same way that the Romans did in their time and day. We're trying and we're working and we're pressing, but we won't shift our approach. But in basketball, there's this thing, it's called the crossover. And the crossover is known to be the fastest way that someone can change in basketball from one direction to the other. It's the fastest way. And so if I do the same thing, but I try a different approach, so Xander is gonna come back, he's gonna play me on D, but I'm gonna try this next approach. Oh! And I messed it up. I'm gonna try it again. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> You're good. You can take a seat. Here, take the ball. If I all of a sudden shift the approach, it opens up everything else. And I believe that not just in basketball, because we're not just talking about basketball, I'm not just teaching basketball class today. I believe that it's the same in life. There's a crossover from the way the world does and did things to the way the kingdom and Jesus does it. And when it's done properly, it breaks the cycle and has the power to change everything around us. See, Jesus modeled this when he left his heavenly kingdom to come to earth. And what he found was a world had shamed a Samaritan woman at the well. She was relegated to getting the water all by herself because no one wanted to associate with her anymore. But Jesus crossed the whole situation up. He humbled himself. He sat and he talked with her. He included her in his plan. And the Bible actually says that she became responsible for saving her entire town. The world had given up on a blind man named Bartimaeus. Society saw his blindness as a hopeless and shameful situation. They literally attached shame to it by saying that it was because of sin that he was made blind. It was the sin of his parents that caused him to be blind. But when he cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus stopped. He crossed over to the side of the street. He touched his eyes and Bartimaeus was no longer blind. There was another woman that was caught in adultery and thrown at Jesus' feet by religious leaders who were completely shaming her, hoping to stone her to death. But Jesus crossed them up with a simple question of which of you have never sinned? And then he stooped down low, he looked her in the eye, and he said, neither do I condemn you. The world and religion punished Jesus. They beat him, they stripped him naked, they mocked him, they shamed him as they crucified him until his death on a cross. But as he hung there, he spoke out the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he uttered those words, he took even the very image of the cross, pain, dominance, shame, torture, and he crossed it over to a beacon of hope for the oppressed, forgiveness for the fallen, and a new picture of life for all humankind. This is the gospel. You see, the world and religion keeps using sheer man-made power as their source of victory. But Christ did it differently. He modeled humility in everything he did. He crossed up every single situation he encountered. 
and it changed the game forever. And it can change the game in your life today. As Jesus reminded Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your strength, in your power, in your ability to go hard in the pit. No, in your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul responded back, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The world and our society, they might continue to trumpet fear, anger, sheer power, false strength to, to get what they want, to get the results they're after. But the greatest crossover in the history of the world was when Jesus came, when he modeled humility, when the man with the most rights and the most advantage, when they, he lowered himself and they gave, he gave them all up for the one who had no claim. That man was named Jesus. And the person he gave them up for was you. Jesus did it differently. He had a different approach. And then he actually told us numerous times throughout the gospel, you want different results? Numerous times the disciples kept saying, we want to be the best. We want to be the top. Never did Jesus say that's a terrible thing. Instead, he said, hey, if you want that, I can tell you how. Become the least. Sit with the, with the weakest Serve the hungry. Be with the sick. Be with the immigrant. We've been using this definition of humility to forego your status, the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Why? Because it will change our results. And psychology and society 2,000 years later is actually finally catching up and confirming that humility is one of the greatest indicators of success. We've talked about what humility is and why it's important. And hopefully by now we're asking the question, then how do I grow in it? What does it actually look like? How do we not just know what it is and want it, but actually grow in it ourselves? And the first way, the first thing that we have to start to incorporate and do in our lives is to honor God. Number one, honor God. St. Benedict said it this way. He said, humility actually starts with reverence for God. The quote is, let a man consider that God always sees him from heaven, that the eye of God beholds his works everywhere, and that the angels report to them, report them to him every hour. That's a daunting quote. That should put us in our place a little bit. We should be reminded God literally knows everything about us. His angels are reporting to him our every good and bad moment. This isn't your bro or your boo. He's not your homeboy. We can't go home and try to manipulate or trick him to get him to think that we're better than we really are. We didn't really have that thought. Like he knows this is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is the great I am. This is the Rose of Sharon, the Prince of Peace, the Redeemer. This is him. And he knows you in and out. Sometimes we say that as a celebratory, like that's a beautiful, amazing, intimate thing. He knows you, he knows every thought. And sometimes that should be a sobering thought. For some of us, like at my, my own life this week, I'm like, oh, you every, every single thing that I thought and did, you saw it at all. You know, that one was just a joke. You know, that one I was playing, you know what I mean? Like, at some point, 
There has to be an honor. There has to be a place of authority. There has to be this remembrance of, wow, this is a big God and I'm little man. And that's difficult for us, I think, because we honestly, if we break it down, we've lost so much of our honor culture. We've lost that in America. That's difficult. We rarely honor our bosses. We rarely honor our authority figures. We, we rarely honor, he, even the president of the United States, we don't honor that anymore. If it's somebody you don't like, feel free. It's like we've, we've flipped, we like, we've traded an honor for free speech. We don't have to do, but, the, but God tells us. It's like, we, we act like, well, no, I got free speech. So I can say whatever I want, whenever I want. And, and yes, if you're not saved, feel free. Enjoy that freedom. But if you're saved, if you come under, if you, if you make God, Jesus Lord, and said, I'm going to follow you, God actually tells us to honor those in authority throughout almost the whole of the Bible. Not almost. He does tell us that. Honor your father and mother. Honor your enemy by loving them and praying for them. Honor your national leaders by praying for them. Honor, honor, honor. And that's just talking about humans. God's not just a buddy or a good friend. We're called to be obedient to him, not just friendly with him. In Samuel, you, you can read about it. He says obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus actually says in, in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. And I'll tell you this, when God is in his rightful place as God, and we are in our rightful place as mere human beings, that is the beginning of humility. If God's not in that place, then we are essentially our own God. We're, we become our own God, and how could humility possibly have room to grow if I'm God? We must put God back in that place. A.W. Tozer says it best, the most important thing about any person is what they think about God. What do you think about God? Do you honor him? Is he in his rightful place as king, as Lord of your life? Number one, we've got to honor God. Number two, the best way that we can, we can grow in humility. Number one, we honor God. And number two, we learn humility. We've got to learn it. The best way to learn humility is to learn to love humility. Admiring and longing for humility is actually what kickstarts the process of being transformed by it. It's interesting, when I first started dating my wife, or we first started talking before we even started dating, I didn't propose to her on day one. Before I could even think about loving, I had to actually learn who she was. And I would sit there, and I remember we would text, we had the old flip phones, uh, we had just you know, gotten the Verizon flip phones and stuff, and we would sit there and I would text the dumbest questions. What's your favorite piece of candy? Oh, it's Reese's. Oh, what's yours? <laughs> it's Jolly Rancher. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> what, what, what's, your, what's your favorite drink? Oh, it's, a, it, it's Surge. Oh, what's your favorite drink? Oh, <laughs> it's Pepsi. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Like, we were, it was dumb, but what, what did we do? We just kept asking questions. We kept pressing in. What do you do with your freedom? What's your favorite TV show? What's your thing? And as I began to learn who she was, I began to love her. It's the same with humility. 
On a more surface level, the same thing happened with my favorite basketball players. Since we got the basketball hoop in here, I might as well tell some basketball stories. First, I'm from Detroit. You got to know that. And uh, I'm a Pistons fan, but I'm not 45. I'm 30 years old. And so Rip Hamilton, not the bad boys era, although I've watched all the 30 for 30s in the documentaries. I love them. They're amazing. But my favorite basketball player growing up was actually Rip Hamilton. I loved Rip Hamilton so much. This dude would just run around. He had so much energy. He actually learned from Michael in Washington, if you want to study the history of Rip Hamilton, but nobody's really super excited to hear about that, so I'm just going to keep moving along. But Rip would, would, would play great defense, and then he had a killer shot, and I love those things. And so one night, I'm playing on a basketball court. I was probably like 15 years old. I'm playing on a basketball court with a bunch of older guys, and I was running around. I'm playing crazy defense. This energetic me. I hit a few shots, and one of the guys blurts out, what do we got? Who do we have down here, Rip Hamilton? And you can imagine my heart was like, like I had made it. But what was interesting to me as I look back at that story and I was reflecting on that this week as I thought about that, I wasn't trying to be Rip Hamilton, but I had learned him, I had watched him long enough, I had really admired him enough that all of a sudden by osmosis, somebody picked up on the characteristics of that individual and said, wow, you're kind of like, humility and character works the same way. What are you admiring? What are you learning? What are you loving? When's the last, when's the last time you read a book or you studied a person or, or you listened to a podcast and it talked about humility? If we're not putting it in front of us and watching it and learning it and admiring it, then there's very little chance that we're actually going to gain it in our lives. If we admire it, if we chase after it, if we begin to see its results in our life, when we see that, we begin to seek it out more naturally. And it's almost the same way with Rip Hamilton or the same way with, with my wife. It becomes natural to begin to grow in it. It's almost by osmosis that one day we wake up and we realize it's actually worn off on us. Do the books we read, the songs we listen to, and the media we consume ever talk about, glorify, or lift up humility? Do we reflect on the lives of the humble? If we're shaped by by what we admire, finding admirable examples and studying them will go a long way toward forming humility in us, both from history. Have we read about Mother Teresa, Rosa Parks, Florence Nightingale, Abraham Lincoln, Nelson Mandela? And then in your own personal life, who in your own life do you see that holds power for the good of others? Are you watching them, learning from them, sitting with them, asking them to teach you more? Number one, if we're gonna grow in humility, we've got to honor God, we've got to learn it. And then number two, we've got to live humbly. This piece of advice, sometimes it sounds a little simplistic. It's like, are you serious? That's what you got for us? Let's live it? Okay, very nice. But I'm not talking about pretending. I'm, to, I'm recommending that we actually develop the humility muscle. It's just like, Anybody lifting weights that if you start out at five pounds and then you work to 15 and then you work to 30 and then you work to 45 and then 50 and then 100 and then 200 and you can do incredible things, but only if you actually go in and work it out. 
The same is, it's the same in character. It's the same internally. It's the same with humility that we would continue to work it out. And one of the best ways we can work it out is actually how I kind of started this message is by inviting criticism, specifically constructive criticism. You invite constructive criticism from friends and colleagues. When I sent that text out to nine or 10 different people, I, didn't, I, I actually put the tag on, please be brutally honest with me. They're people I trust anyway, so why wouldn't I ask for that? But it did not still feel nice. Even through a text message and through another screen, I was like, oh, I'm gonna get some real responses. And I did. I've had five weeks to work on it since then. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a book called Changing the Mind of the Corporation. It's by Roger Martin. It speaks of four discernible stages of a company's demise. The final two, the final two out of four are the deterioration of necessary feedback and the proliferation of organizational defensiveness. In other words, what he said with his final two ways that a company or organization will go down to the ground is it's an unwillingness to allow and process criticism. This is not just for companies. This is for individuals just as much as businesses or organizations. You are made better by constructive criticism. And we get this if I was to bring the sports realm back into it one more time, we understand it when it comes to sports. We get it. Oh, of course you need a coach. Even LeBron has a coach. Even MJ always had a coach. MJ retired because his coach was actually leaving the game. He was like, I'm not going to do it with anybody else. This is the guy I'm ride or die with. Because he understood the value of coaching. And we get it when it comes to sports or arenas or different fields or different, different activity or even in our businesses or organizations. We get the life coaching, the mentoring, the I, I need a boss, I need a CEO, I need somebody up there to help me figure this thing out or I need to read books. But then when it comes to character or things in life, so often we reject the constructive criticism that we're so necessary and in need of. We're in need of this constructive criticism. One of my favorite things about Cape Christian is that we regularly invite fearless feedback. Not only do I get that from my team, but, but I have bosses who do that for me as well. I'm gonna get off this stage, I'm gonna walk into a back room and we're gonna have some fearless feedback about how this can even be made better. I love that. That's beautiful. Why? Because it continues to improve, whether it's systems, whether it's organizations, whether it's speaking, whether it's individual character. I've had a few of those lately. And it's healthy because it grows us, both as an organization and as people who are wanting to follow God with everything. Talking about coaching, I actually had a moment <laughs> had a moment back when I was 17. I was playing uh, basketball and uh, on, a, on, a, on a high school level, it was my senior year of high school. Uh, and we had finally kind of gotten good at the team, as a team, and we're playing this team that had beaten us every single year. And so it came down to the wire. We're like 
seven points up with, with, a, with like two minutes to go or a minute to go. And we actually had an interim coach that night. For some reason, our coach couldn't show up. So we had like an interim coach. It's like a substitute coach. Um, so respect level goes, no, I'm just kidding. Kind of. Okay, my 17-year-old mind, that's what happened. Um, but we're down to the wire. And I was one of the, the, uh, I was one of the good players on the, on the court at the time. And I followed a guy. I picked up my third or fourth foul. Uh, there's only two minutes left. I got a few fouls left in the bank. You keep me on the court, right? Well, my coach decides to yank me. Well, my, even my captain turns around and he's like, what are you doing? And so this, in my mind, gave me permission. I, <laughs> woo, this is why the questions of, am I, would you consider me humble was such a far out question. You're about to see it right now. I'm telling on myself. So I literally, I'm on the court walking off toward my interim coach and I rip my jersey off and I throw it at him. Oh, thank you. Actually, thank you. Because <laughs> thank you. You see that? I'm getting people are shaking their heads. No, they're shaking their heads. People dip their heads down. This is the same reaction I got in the moment. I got a lot of stares and I got a lot of people shaking their heads in disbelief. That was the, it was the right thing. If you fast forward a few years later on a completely different note, I'm doing missions work in, in New York City, and there was a homeless guy that was sitting there, and for whatever reason, I felt like the Lord actually asked me, hey, go sit down next to him. Spend a little bit of extra time. We had like these packages we were giving them, and, and um, normally it was like, you know, set it down next to him, have a few words, and move on, and uh, I felt like the Lord just told me to sit and stay with this specific person. And so I sat down next to him and I began to ask him questions. And he told me about how he, he's an um, army vet. And we just began to talk. And as we talked, it dragged on a little while. And pretty soon his eyes started to close and he actually fell asleep. But when he fell asleep, he slid over and he actually put his head on my shoulder. And he began to sleep. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, now I'm sitting with a homeless man sleeping on my shoulder. I was okay, but I looked up and I saw the same thing that I just saw from people. I got a lot of stares and I got a lot of people who were shaking their head in disbelief that someone would sit down with a homeless man and let him sleep on his shoulder. See, what's interesting to me about those stories is I felt a pride in both moments, but very different prides. The first story, there was a shameful, arrogant pride. All I wanted to do was hide myself. I knew what I had done was so wrong. The second one, I think, was closer to what we find in Luke chapter 9. Verses 46 through 48, it says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And then he says this line, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. See, in the second moment, there was just a knowledge somewhere deep down I didn't need anyone else's approval. I just knew in the eyes of the Father that it was right, that it was good, that there was hope and there was life behind it. Some of you today, maybe you're 
watching online and for some of you, maybe, you show, maybe you're listening and you're the person you feel like you got ousted or you're lost. Maybe you feel like the homeless vet. Maybe you, you, you feel like you're on the side of the street. And I just want you to know that Jesus would come. He would show up. He would take a seat next to you and he would offer you his shoulder. For four weeks, we've been discussing this humility topic. We ended with how to grow it. And I started with this concept of honoring God. And the best way to embrace or grow humility is to embrace and follow Jesus. The best place you could be is the fact that you, you might feel that way, but the fact that you're in need of a savior. The way you do that is you surrender to Jesus. I think it was a beautiful moment when the, the man rested his, his, his head on my shoulder. He said, I, my defenses are down. And we can do that with Jesus today. We can remove our defenses. We can know that we are in the hands of a loving, good, heavenly father. And we can surrender to him. One of our favorite things here to do at Cape Christian is to introduce people to Jesus. And we believe it's one of the most humbling and rewarding things you can do in all of life. You don't have to keep solving all your problems on your own. Jesus is here. He's waiting for you to invite him in so he can enter in and begin this process. It will require humility. It does require a saying at some point, I can't do this and I need you. I need a savior. For the rest of us, or maybe some of us in this room, we've been doing this for a while and Jesus is just asking us to, to follow him on the path of humility to take care of the down and out, to take care of the brokenhearted, to forego our status, to use our resources for the good of others. It might look different than we expected, but there are lots of ways to get different results for a moment. But Jesus gave us a result that included his death on a cross that has still changed the meaning of what that means 2,000 years later. You want lasting results. You wanna change the world around you, or maybe you just want a better home life, work life, better relationships with coworkers or family. I wanna encourage us to start growing our humility. It might not change everything overnight, actually it won't. But as we continue to practice it, as we continue to honor God, as we continue to learn it, as we continue to live it, the results speak for themselves. Embrace Jesus and embrace humility. Pray with me. God, I just pray that this would not just be another message that we sit through. God, I pray that we would begin to practice this, that we would begin to learn it, that the whole four weeks of, of humility would actually begin to shape who we are that even just a group of us that would, would make that noble choice to forgo our status, deplore our resources and use what you've given us for the down and out, for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for those who have it worse off than us. God, that we, we, we would create something, God, that you started a long time ago. I pray that we would just continue in your legacy of humility. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.